When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Oh, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And we've got a lot to talk about. We want to go position by position in the biggest storylines that we will be talking about in training camp from each spot. Now knowing what we know with minicamp. Also, we have a great Wikipedia quarterback to go through. And thank you to a podcast listener for <laughs> suggesting it. I've already looked through it, and I'm excited about this one. But first, Courtney, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Getting ready to uh, enjoy some time off this off season, but still grinding the tape. Still grinding the tape 24-7. Okay, that's good. Now, I, I actually, the other day, was watching back Rashad Hill from Week 17 with Mike Remmers at right guard. So, the- I mean, that's, that's, that's topical for this time of year because that's the only thing we're going to be talking about. When it comes to the strength of the offensive line for that right side, I mean, it's a huge question going into the fall, going into, uh, going really into the end of, you know, to August. Uh, so that's, you know, I applaud you for doing that. You're doing all of us a service by doing that. By grinding that tape and my grinding, ta- grinding his pass blocking skills. My takeaway just before we get into each position and kind of what we learned and where we stand was just that Remmers was good at guard. I think he can be very good there. It's really about the right tackle position, and as decent as Rashad Hill is at pass blocking, the run blocking I think might end up driving John DeFlippo nuts. So (laughs) we're going to keep an eye on that one as we get into camp and see if there are any changes on the offensive line. But let's start right out with Kirk Cousins and what you learned about him and Trevor Simeon and Kyle Sloter and whatever other guy is here. What we learned from those guys uh, through OTAs and minicamp. Don't disrespect Peter Pujols like that. Like, I mean, they, they know his name. No number six and what he stands for. I, I wasn't really about. sure if it was pronounced Pujols. Pujols. Pujols? There. I mean, there's, it's not an O, it's an A. Okay. Well, so he's go certainly with- got a jersey. Certainly got a jersey. He'll certainly be around for the start of training camp and will certainly not be on the roster uh, come cut down day. Maybe but... we'll see Mitch Leidner again. Oh, I, I, who knows? I mean, you never know who's week... going to show up and play quarterback in week four of the preseason. Oh, man. But as far as Kirk Cousins goes, I think we saw exactly what we anticipated seeing. 
Um, you know, certainly some issues still in the red zone that uh, we saw last week during minicamp. Probably not what the Vikings coaching staff wanted for Cousins to throw two interceptions in the red zone in back-to-back series, and, and particularly right in front of us, the media, uh, mm-hmm. the day that they were on the uh, the field closest to us. But, you know, for Cousins, I think – this is exactly, you know, there's some good execution for him this off season uh, in just kind of learning an entirely new scheme. I mean, he and John Filippo have a lot of the same background uh, because they both have been raised and reared in West Coast con- in West Coast schemes uh, throughout their time in the National Football League, you know, with re- respectively. So um, I don't think that there was that much of a learning curve. In terms of that, I know Kirk is going to be seeing some more, you know, some RPOs that, and just some of those concepts uh, that he hasn't run, um, and he ha- he's probably not as familiar with. So, to me, how he continues to grow within this playbook, um, and and what that continuity looks like over the next five six weeks of the off season when he's on his own is going to be so important because the install's there. The players go home; they have every single play cut up. Um, you know, on their iPad and, you know, or at least the ones who could take the iPads with them. I believe that some people, players might have had to turn those in. I think we saw a sign for that last week at TCO. Uh, but obviously Cousins is going to have his iPad. And to me, that's obviously your most important, you know, he wants to stay in that playbook and go through it just about every day, but not go through it too much to where he's having burnout. So uh, where, how significant of a jump he makes from now to the first practice at the end of July is going to be pretty significant, I think. I did expect some bumps in the road from Kirk Cousins in the time that was open to the media, and we definitely saw those in the red zone. And there were also some other times where it seemed like he was a tick late trying to decide where to go with the ball. And you have a defense that's played under Mike Zimmer, a lot of the key players for either three or four years, and they were number one in the league last year, versus everybody on the offensive side trying to learn a new offense. So there's a significant advantage there to the defense where they're making calls they already have fluently down as opposed to the offense where they're just trying to get it now. And the RPO thing is pretty interesting. RPOs aren't by any means a new thing in the NFL. Mm -mm. They've been around a very long time. And Brett Favre was talking about how he used them in, in a video that he did with John Gruden. So it's not a new thing. But it will be, like you said, something that Washington didn't use a lot. So new for Kirk Cousins. I, I think that considering the skill set of the players they have and what works best for Cousins, which I think is making a quick read and getting the ball out fast as he possibly can, I think that that will maximize his skill set. And that's what John Filippo's biggest job here really is in minicamp OTAs. It's not to look like uh, Joe Montana back there, it's to figure out what works for both guys and and what's going to maximize Kirk Cousins' skill set, what concepts work best for him. And DiFilippo told a great story when we first talked to him on a conference call about sitting down Nick Foles and saying, all right, mm-hmm. what do you feel most comfortable with? That's what we're going to focus on because we want to maximize everything you can do as opposed to asking you to be Carson Wentz. And we saw that that worked out pretty darn well for Nick Foles. And that's the thing that people forget about. Nick Foles didn't take a single snap last preseason at all. Um, and, and for, for him to be ready to go week, you know, when, when Wentz goes down, what was it? Week 14. Um, and, and for, for Foles to be ready to step right in there. I mean, that speaks a lot to what John Filippo was able to do in getting him ready continuously throughout the season. 
uh, even when he knew he wasn't getting in games, but those, how important those reps were. And just, you know, when you take a look at, you know, the, the, the mental recall that he demands uh, from his quarterbacks, I think is so critical. And, and that's why you can just see why this Trevor Simeon trade was so necessary in shoring up the rest of the quarterback room. So, you know, Injuries, you can't prevent them. They happen. What what happens when Kirk, you know, if and when Kirk Cousins has to deal with something and he's not a hundred percent, and if you know, God forbid, there's something that keeps him from playing a game, the Vikings do feel like they've got the personnel at least to be able to make that transition uh, because you know they lived through it last year with Keenum and they were lucky that they had him. Uh, part, you know, they signed him in the off season. And, you know, they, they hope they don't have to turn to Trevor Simeon, but hey, Trevor Simeon was looking pretty good in the red zone, uh, last week too. So who knows? Maybe they'll put him in on some red zone packages <laughs> if, if all else doesn't, if all else fails. Surprisingly enough, if I recall from the numbers I looked at with Cousins in the red zone and looking at the rest of the league, I think Simeon really was effective in, uh, when it came to the red zone, but it is a small sample. Like you said, it's uh, ideal to have someone like him that has won some games in the NFL and is of a similar ilk of Case Keenum coming in where if he had to start for four games or six games, you wouldn't feel like your season was immediately going to go down the drain just because you didn't have that backup quarterback. And when Teddy Bridgewater went down, everyone looked at Sean Hill and went, uh, okay, Sean Hill <laughs> can't possibly start 16 games. So what are we going to do here? And it ultimately cost him a first-round pick having to trade for Sam Bradford there, which, uh, you know, I mean, that I think that trade would have worked out if Bradford had started all of last year. But the point just being that the organization learned from its mistake of having a 38-year-old guy who couldn't possibly play more than a game here or there to now making sure they've had guys who have been very recent starters in the NFL as opposed to someone like Sean Hill who had just gotten a couple of games here or there for this team or that team throughout his career. Um, with the running back position, Delvin Cook is back. And Delvin Cook has talked about how he's feeling good and he's starting to get back in real football shape now. So, I mean, when you're looking at where his timeline was supposed to be, that he was supposed to be back at training camp, having him back through all of minicamp and some of OTAs is a huge win for the Vikings. And the thing is, you take a look at the way that how well they were able to run the ball uh, this spring off season, and that's with their offensive line being a complete mismatch right now. Uh, you know, just players being worked around to other positions because Pat Elf lines out, um, and they still don't know who their right guard's going to be. I mean, they ran the ball significantly well, and they were pleased with the progress. Obviously, with with Dalvin coming back, and and with what John D. Filippo said that he's starting to show flashes uh, with his field vision and just seeing the holes of where he was weeks one through, you know, three and a half, essentially uh, last season. That speaks a lot to, I think, just how quick he was able to progress through his latter portion of his rehab. And, and what we're going to see with how the Vikings want to utilize him um, this season. I mean, the run game is really good. And this team, this offense is going to go as far as this run game can go. That's going to carry them in the red zone specifically, uh, especially since, you know, I, I would anticipate that Filippo is probably going to have to manage Cousins a little bit more than you might would think with somebody like him just early on, not the whole season, but maybe the first few games, which is where if you get down the red zone, you're going to want to rely on somebody like Dalvin Cook or Latavius Murray, however they define those roles uh, near the goal line, to to really carry a heavy load. Um, and you don't want to stress Dalvin too much, but 
you know, he said, I, I believe he told the he told NFL Network that he's, you know, going to be taking that brace off come training camp. So and he's not going to be playing with it during games. So that that kind of is a little, um, you know, a little eye eye opening there to see, you know, how far he's come along. But I, I anticipate that it's only we're only going to continue to talk about how well Dalvin's progressing as we get into training camp and actually get him, you know, with some pads on at points to see how he cuts, see how he moves and really see that field vision and work when, you know, when guys are not in shorts and in t-shirts. And what can be really huge for the offense is creating a screen game around Delvin Cook to find ways to get him the ball. I was going back through some of the things that Delvin said about John Filippo, and he said that the whole goal of the offense is just creating matchups that are favorable for the playmaker. And if you're talking about what Pat Shermer was able to do last year with the screen passes for Jarek McKinnon, he did a great job with those. And Delvin Cook is a better player overall and has uh, more opportunities uh, to create big plays than even Jarek McKinnon did. And so I, I think that the offense starts with Delvin Cook, whether it's the running game to some extent, but also the passing game with the fact that he can line up as a wide receiver, starting with those screen passes that just make life really difficult. And, and they have an offensive line that is built to be good on those screen passes. We saw that a lot last year with Nick Easton's ability to get out there and block, Pat Elfline's ability to get out there and block, and even the mobility of someone like Riley Reef, who can pull at the tackle position. There aren't that many tackles who are able to do that, and it just seems like a perfect fit for them. So having Delvin back is huge. Where do you see Latavius Murray's role being? I think it's going to, obviously it's going to be diminished, um, you know, to where I think as we see the season go on, they're not going to want to wear Dalvin down. Like, you know, what we were might have been foreshadowed last year with just how much they were working him and, you know, Tavius coming off the ankle injury. They weren't really sure what they wanted to do with McKinnon yet and what role he would serve. So, um, early on, I expect it to be. I wouldn't say even as much, but I would expect Latavius to get more work done early on. And then it become kind of a situational thing where, you know, he's a goal line rusher. He's somebody, you know, on third and short, if you want to just kind of power through and maybe take some of that wear and tear off Dalvin. I do think he's going to have a good role here because there's a reason this staff worked tirelessly after, you know, hours after signing Kirk Cousins because they knew they had to get the Sheldon Richardson deal done. They were back up in, you know, the coaches in, in front office wing of the building to rework Latavius Murray's contract and come up with an agreement that makes him a free agent after this season because they know they needed a reliable rusher behind Dalvin Cook to bolster that run game. Uh, so they're not in a position where he has to be overworked and, and overloaded um, to, to be carrying this entire run game on his own. So I do think Latavius will have a sizable role. Um, certainly not as big as, I mean, he was essentially the featured back. Even though they didn't really feature back, he was the number one running back after Cook went down. Yeah, and then they, it kind of seemed to bounce back and forth a little bit, but for the most part, he was and had a, a really good season filling in for Delvin Cook. It's just, will Mike Zimmer get to a point because Cook's having a great season or something where he's like, yeah, you're just not really going to play a whole lot. I mean, that's mm -hmm. I, even though Zimmer talked in the offseason to us at the Combine about how, yeah, we don't want to wear Cook down and whatever else, but you have Super Bowl aspirations and you've got a really tough schedule. And what you could see happening is, you know, it starts out where it's 60-40 or then it goes to 70-30. And then by the end of the season, it's just Delvin Cook takes every snap. But where they could sure. use... 
where they could use Murray and, and what worked really well for them last year was making it look like they were going to slam him up the middle, put in CJ Ham, put in David Morgan, and then run play action plays and go down the field. Uh, they were able to do that with a lot of success with Latavius in. So if they kind of establish him as he's going to ground and pound a little bit, that could create uh, some good play action opportunities, which we know that Kirk Cousins is really good in that area. With uh, the wide receivers, my analysis of Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen is uh, still good. So <laughs> beyond them, what is your number one thing that you are thinking, your hot take, your opinion as we go into this, uh, go into training camp from the wide receiver position, top thing that you're watching? Obviously, it's the, um, it's the number three position behind those two. Um, and, you know, how, who will be the number three receiver? I guess I would have been, um, you know, I, I'm becoming more bullish on my Laquan Treadwell take, uh, where, you know, I do think if, if the off season ended right now, we're starting camp. I mean, he's number three receiver. He's made significant strides, uh, this season. And I think a lot of that has to do with the time that he spent around John D. Filippo. I talked with him recently for, um, for a story and just, you know, where he's, where he's at right now is a completely different receiver, uh, from a mental standpoint than where he was years ago, uh, when he first got to the NFL. And I think the confidence that he feels from this staff, um, and, and the pieces around him, I mean, Kirk has elevated his game just as much as, you know, Treadwell's been a huge part of, you know, the, of the offense since, you know, a wide open window there with Stacey Coley going down. Um, early on in the preseason, in, you know, the first week of OTAs allowed Treadwell to be where he's at right now. If, if, if I'm going to predict this, and I think we already predicted this last week, if we're going to count on five, at least five receivers, um, outside of, you know, Thielen and Diggs, and I do think they would end up, you know, taking six, but I think it's Coley, Treadwell, Zilstra, and maybe Kendall Wright. I wouldn't be surprised if Kendall Wright gets cut. I don't think he's, um, I don't think he's what they thought he would be when they brought him in here and where, how, how much he's used in the preseason is something I'm going to keep an eye on because I don't know what kind of role I'm really struggling to find what kind of role he's going to serve in this offense. Um, you know, I, you know, I think Caleb Jones is somebody that, you know, if I'm, if I had to make a really bold prediction, it would be that Kendall Wright would not be on the roster, uh, after the 90, after the 90 man, uh, shrink down to 53, but, I'm still waiting before I go that far. I could definitely see that, though. They didn't put a whole lot of money into him, and the fact that he got zero reps from what I saw at OTAs or minicamp with the first team makes you wonder, like, okay, I understand that he's new, but, I mean, he signed at the beginning of free agency. You would think that he would at least be mixing in with the first team. The fact that he wasn't there, and if it gets into training camp and he's still not there, then we'll start to ask, okay, is this guy really going to have a chance to make the team and make an impact? I like the signing when it happened based on some of his success last year with Chicago, but if Filippo doesn't see him as a fit, then they're not into him with a whole lot of money and they could walk away. Caleb Jones is an interesting one because he's suspended for the first four games, which almost gives him, in a weird way, a chance because it would open up a roster spot there even though he could still be on the team. And then after four weeks, you could bring him back, assuming at some point somebody gets hurt within the first four weeks, and then you've got a spot there. Zilstra is an interesting guy. He was super successful in the CFL 
Corey Robertson, somebody that they gave a lot of money. So that, that just in general, the battle will be very interesting with Treadwell. I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, we are mm-hmm. two, and that's two totally years fair. in. Yeah. It's totally fair. I, I want, I want to believe it now. I'm cautious, but you know, if, if, if this is any, indi- if we stopped everything today and if that was any indication what we saw in the preseason uh, or in the off seasons, how, good he would play in August, then I would believe it. I mean, he's definitely on the team, but we saw him have a good camp for the most part, except for an injury last year. And then, you know, the season he ends up with a handful of catches, but wasn't very efficient when he was in there. The fact that uh, he was playing all first team, though, is a good sign for him, considering where he has been the last two years. Uh, On the offensive line, I guess we should do the tight ends quick, but I don't really have a whole lot on the tight ends. Kyle Rudolph still here. Right? Kyle Rudolph still here. Tyler Conklin, not an F tight end. That at least one that they're probably going to be able to use, and that's going to be able to create those mismatches that John D. Filippo was able to, you know, his his you know, with his pedigree in Philadelphia is probably what he wants to do here and obviously did some of it in Cleveland. I don't see Tyler Conklin really fitting that role. Yeah, no. We didn't see a lot from him. He was, he was slow to begin with. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's very fast. Uh, and they also, I mean, he's coming off injury. So. Yeah, and I'm starting to think as we watched during minicamp and saw Blake Bell getting some first-team reps that there's a chance Conklin ends up as a practice squad guy if he can't beat out Bell. They traded for Bell last year, and they liked some things about him. He's got NFL experience. He understands the team a little bit better. So if he's healthy, maybe Conklin does end up as uh, the, the practice squad tight end, which you know I think would be a disappointment when you draft a guy in the fifth round if he doesn't end up making your team. But at this point, I think if I was making out my 53, I, I probably wouldn't have him. Um, on the offensive line, we have gone over the Remmers and Rashad Hill right side. How about any questions for you or thoughts on either the middle out to the left side of the offensive line or the backups? Backups, I mean, I think that's a good one because you don't have your go-to, this is my rotational guy who can fill four different positions if needed. Your Jeremiah Searles have you. Um, I am really curious to see the type of role that, you know, who gra- who who emerges as those, you know, Rashad Hill would be your next guy right in line, but hey, he might be starting at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I'd be willing to put my money if you're starting right tackle come week one of, of the season, which might be a little nerve wracking just given uh, the state of the offensive line on the right side right now and whether Mike Remmers really is a better fit at guard. Um, but curious to see obviously what, what happens the next few weeks um, once, you know, if, if, if the line stays the way it is with Elfline coming back in time for week one, um, which, he, which he is, you know, on, on schedule to do. I know there was some question. Um, about that, but I'm not, I would not be surprised, you know, if he's, you know, he should be right where he needs to be, uh, by participating. He might be a little slow in training camp, you know, coming back, but he should be able to go week one. Um, this is, this is the biggest storyline of the offseason to me outside of Kirk Cousins and everything else because they didn't address it the way they probably should have in the draft. How this may or may not come back to hinder them during the season. Uh, we're going to start seeing that unfold, good or bad, during training camp. 
The low-key storyline for me with the offensive line is that both Mike Remmers and Riley Reef were dinged up last year. Remmers missed a number of games with a back injury, and I think he also had a concussion mixed in there. And Riley Reef had to leave one game. He may have missed a game and was playing dinged up for the second half of the season. And you really saw it because in the first half he was excellent. I don't think he allowed a snap, uh, sack until like week 10 or something like that. He played really well. But when the injury struck, that's when the Vikings offensive line did not hold up as well. And that was something we didn't really talk about when they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, but was kind of a factor there when it came to their offensive line that even though Riley Reef was playing, that he was probably a bit dinged up. And the fact that Easton was missing and Remmers had to fill in, that was a factor against the Eagles. So health, I think, is a big deal here. Having a couple of proven backups, or at least one in Tom Compton and then Danny Isadora, a guy who got some snaps and played pretty well when he did last year, those are bonuses. But the health of these guys, since they were dinged up last year, uh, might be worth watching. On the defensive side, is Anthony Barr going to be a defensive end sometimes, you think? I mean, he's been playing outside. You're the one who made that first initial observation after the second OTA that it's like, huh, is Barr playing a little bit more outside now? And, I mean, they if they're going to pay him, they might want him to rush the quarterback a little bit. You know, if he's going to get this major extension uh, to put him in a category, a new tax bracket before training camp, which, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think they really are trying to tap into his skills as a pass rusher just because it, it, it's time. Like if you're, you know, guys like that, you need, if you're going to be as valuable as you want to be, you need to be somebody who can, you know, go and be sent in to rush the passer. And I think that we saw some early signs that Barr is playing a little bit more on the outside and, you know, let's see, let's see where that continues in camp because they just don't have a lot of depth at that linebacker spot either. No, they really don't. I mean, Devontae Downs is going to be somebody to watch. He was their seventh-round pick who was fantastic in college but got hurt, which sunk his draft stock a little bit. And Ben Gideon is more of a 20% of the snaps type of guy. You don't see him as really a starter. So this is kind of front seven in in a way in in this conversation because if you do move Anthony Barr to the defensive line sometimes, what do you do at linebacker? Do you bring in an extra defensive back? Do you have somebody emerge there as an extra linebacker? They had Emmanuel Lemur go, didn't really replace him. Kendrell Brothers is suspended for the first four games, and he's just basically a special teams guy anyway. So how they're going to handle that will be interesting. And then just if anybody emerges uh, uh, from the you know, rotational pass rusher, I mean, Stephen Weatherly has been talked about for a few years now and hasn't really been in games. And Tashawn Bauer had a great preseason in camp last year, but – Barely saw the field. Now we saw him take a handful of first team reps and maybe that's where we end up is seeing Tashawn Bauer emerge. Yeah. I mean, he was out there last week as, as kind of rotating in and what we, we didn't really see a whole ton of the rotation. Um, I don't know if that's just because, you know, Brian Robeson really did have an important role after, you know, taking a $2 million pay cut. It's, hey, fill in, fill in at left defensive end for, or excuse me, sorry, right defensive end uh, for Everson Griffin for the entire preseason because he's got some undisclosed leg injury. Um, I'll be curious, though, to see how much they rotate 
once Griffin is healthy and where Robeson fits in because guys like Weatherly and Bauer are going to be so huge, uh, you know, on some of those, you know, situational pass rushing snaps. And, and the same thing on the inside, too. I mean, Jalen Holmes um, is currently injured. He had a broken hand but should be back by camp. That's the one that they brought in. They're transitioning him from defensive end to defensive tackle, uh, having him learn under Sheldon Richardson. But, you know, guys like Jaleel Johnson, too, I mean, they, they're expecting – they're finally going to come along and they might be able to have, um, you know, that eight man rotation that they've sought after for a number of years. So with the defensive backs, I think the biggest question is clearly what's going to happen at nickel corner. Mike Hughes played mostly second, third team reps during OTAs. Mackenzie Alexander for the second straight year, it seems is being set up to win that job. Do we think that he wins it? I think he does just because like, uh, you, we saw Terrence Newman as a safety for a bulk of the preseason, and I don't think that it's a, their safest bet to have, you know, to with you know at age forty to be your starting nickel. Uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't see that as as a realistic possibility. But you know, Mike Hughes, y- we didn't see him take any first team reps. Uh, I think that the thought that he could push this competition is still it's still relative. I, I don't think I would I'd say it's like dead in the water, but. If I if I'm going in it right now, it's that Mackenzie Alexander is your starting nickel, and that you know the Vikings are hoping year three, uh, just like they are with Treadwell on offense, that something finally clicks, you know, kicks in here with Mackenzie Alexander, and he's able to take over that role. Okay, we're going to expand on all of these things a hundred times over as we go through training camp, and we'll follow the ups and downs of who's playing where, who's succeeding, who's struggling, who's injured, and maybe who comes from out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent. Holton Hill is another guy that I'm going to be very interested in. Top undrafted free agent comes in here. Seems like he had a good OTA in minicamp, and uh, we will go from there. But to wrap things up, before we take a little bit of a pause on the Purple Podcast, and then we will reconvene uh, maybe in a week or so here, I want to go through Bubby Brister's Wikipedia (laughs) because somebody sent this one in and it's full of gold. So first of all, Bubby Brister played for not only the Minnesota Vikings in 2000, but going back to 1986, the Steelers, then the Eagles in 93, 94, the Jets in 95, the Broncos from 97 to 99, in which he was a two-time Super Bowl champion. Talk about falling into that one and then wrapped up his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm just going to give you some highlights of this one, Courtney. If you have a favorite part, you've got it up. I'm reading after retiring currently, and okay, there's some I, good ones in then, there. Then I'll read my favorite my favorite part here, and you can read yours. Uh, he was given the nickname Bubby because his sister mis- mispronounced brother. So she, as a child, presumably, instead of calling him brother, called him Bubby. So when he first started playing high school football, though, they thought it was Bubba because he's from Louisiana and everyone's name is Bubba. So he had to have it changed then to Bubby. This is directly from the Wikipedia. And uh, (laughs) Brister was actually drafted in the fourth round out of high school by the Detroit Tigers, played one year of minor league baseball before going to college to play football. I do like that. I also like the after retiring, he spent a short time as a television sports analyst for Fox Sports Rocky Mountain in Denver. Um, I mean, if you're if you're nice. from Louisiana, if you're like Rocky anywhere, Mountain. yeah, if you're this from the uh, Monroe, Alexandria, that whole area, um, 
you're 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 an outdoorsman you're fishing you're you're in this you're in the swamps like i mean there is nothing else to do down there except play football um so yeah to go hand in hand said in 2003 brister became the co-host of a hunting and fishing originated oriented show called louisiana outdoor adventures on the outdoor channel in 05 he joined the staff of hunter's specialties a producer of hunting and fishing adventure videos so i think he and brian robeson would get along Yes, they would. And also, the one other factoid from Bubby Brister's beautiful Wikipedia page, before I go on Mackie and Judd here because I'm getting the phone call, is that he has the highest or the, the longest run as a quarterback ever in Broncos history, even though John Elway played for that team. So thank you all for listening. I got to go on Mackie and Judd. Bye, Courtney. Bye. Yellow. Football. Football.